Welcome to People from the Program, a podcast highlighting alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. Welcome, everyone, to People from the Program, the podcast that highlights the career journeys of alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. I'm your host, Bryce Butler, founder and chairman of the NYU Music Business Alumni Network and a proud alum myself of the NYU Music Business Program. So on today's show, our guest is Brad Desmond. Brad is an artist manager living in Boulder, Colorado. He got a start in the music business, founding the music director position at Jackson Hole Community Radio in Jackson, Wyoming, before leaving in 2010 to attend NYU for a master's in music business. Since graduating, he's been a part of 1111 Management, helping artists at all stages to navigate the music industry and build sustainable careers. Brad, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Bryce. Happy to be on. Yeah, I was really excited to talk to you. You and I have just similar backgrounds in working in radio in early days, and I've done a little bit of artist management myself, obviously not to the extent nice. that you have, but I was really excited to to have you on the show, and I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me, man. I'm super excited to, to be a part of it, to chat with you about my experience and my experience at NYU and everything before and after. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we did a little bit in the, a little bit of this rather in the intro, but let's start with the, with the first question. Um, tell me about your journey to the NYU music business program. What made you decide uh, to pursue that and come aboard? So, I mean, I've always had a, a huge love of music. Um, it's been kind of central to, to my life it's from, 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 you know, my teenage years. And when I got into college at the uh, University of Vermont, I, I was a little listless. I didn't really know what I was doing in college. I didn't really know how I was going to, you know, what I wanted to study or what I was really doing there until one night when a buddy invited me to come hang out at his radio show at the college radio station. Right. And that just changed, changed my life. And, and, you know, back in those days, you know, there was no music streaming on the internet. There was no MP3s and you walk into this radio, this college radio station, which had been collecting music for, you know, 50, 60 years. There was just CDs and vinyl records everywhere. And it was a library of like every album you could ever imagine. And it was just, it immediately piqued my curiosity and um, ended up, you know, doing a college radio show there. And that just changed changed my life and kept me from dropping out of college. And it was a hugely interesting, hugely like formative experience for me in terms of just like finding an expression of my love of music. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I I graduated from UVM and, you know, my other love was snowboarding. I moved out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming to uh, basically just to, just to be a ski bum for a couple of years. And (laughs) I found myself a few years into that cycle feeling a little bit empty inside of just, you know, living for my own personal pleasure. And I was like, I need a project to work on. I need something to do. And I, I looked around the town and I was like, you know, this the, the place felt to me like a college town without a college. It was a lot of kids in their 20s kind of doing like a post-collegiate, uh, you know, mess around time. And I was like, this, this town needs a, a college radio station. Um, it, it needs, it needs that kind of free form radio that really expresses <clears throat> like the, you know, the underground scene here and, and can play anything and kind of just bring people in from the community. Um, so I started looking into what it would take to basically start a nonprofit community radio station. And lucky for me, there was a couple guys who had actually been working at it for like 10 years and they were just reaching the the end of the, the process where they were starting to get their license and they were starting to look for oh, wow. a place to actually set up the, the station. And I got involved right at that time and, you know, they needed all the manpower they could get. And uh, it was like, man, I was volunteering there for about a year before we went on air. And, um, and then that was that when, when we went on air in 2008, I founded the music director position because I, I, I knew from being in that college radio station that we we needed to kind of create that library and that we needed to find a way to kind of announce to the broader like 
music community that we were, uh, you know, a nonprofit community radio station, kind of free form right. music station in Western Wyoming. And nothing like this exists anywhere in Wyoming. Oh, wow. There's nothing, you know, there's no source for, for music. Again, this is like 2008. So kind of pre-streaming, you know, this kind of height of Napster. So you get music and stuff like that anywhere, but there was no real like taste making going on. So this was uh, this radio station is called Jackson Hole Community Radio. They're still around. The call letters are KHOL, eighty nine point one. And yeah, I did that. That was like a really amazing way for me to kind of find some meaning at that time in my life, um, and to get super involved with music. I, I I got in touch with my music director from my college radio days, um, and she kind of explained to me how the whole thing worked, and I just created the position and went from there um oh wow so yeah after after a couple of years of doing the radio station i kind of realized like i kind of like reached my ceiling there and i was like i gotta do something different and i was talking to these radio promoters every week you know pushing records asking us to play their records on the air and this gal was on the phone with her one day and she was like this is gonna be our last conversation i'm i'm going to nyu and i was like Oh, wow, what are you doing? Like, I, I, I'm going to the music business program at NYU. And I was like, what is that? You know, and she explained it to me. This is like the perfect timing as I was like looking for how, what's my exit strategy? How am I getting out of here? And uh, shout out to Katie Hallman, who I was, who uh, was a, a class ahead of me. And, and yeah, she told me about it. I looked it up and I applied. Um, wow. And I never, I never expected to get in, you know, I was like, you know, just kind of, ski bomb messing around in Wyoming and, and got into the program. And, and then suddenly I got into NYU and I was like, well, I have to go. Like, I, I never was one of those people that like had a big dream to live in New York city. Um, I'm kind of like a, I like like small towns, like mountain towns. Um, I like, I'm big on nature. And um, frankly, the idea of moving to New York scared the hell out of me, but you know, <laughs> you get, you get into NYU, you go. So absolutely. Uh, so yeah. So I went and uh, know, the rest is history. Yeah. Man, that's such a great story. Yo, Brad, it really is. There's just some similarities to, to my journey too and how I began. I remember when I transferred and got to the University of Dayton, the school I was at before didn't have college radio. It was pretty much a commuter school. Um, I was a football player. And, um, you know, transferred to Dayton I remember the first time I'm I'm watching our little campus TV and I hear music and I'm like, what is this? And someone said, oh, this is the radio station. And I heard guys playing music. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I bet you that would be real fun. So I ended up, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ended up becoming friends with some of the guys who were on the on the station, and that got me introduced to radio. And and your your sound very similar to to our station with all the CDs yeah. and everything that was there. So. Wow, that was my introduction yeah. really to something music business related. Um, I think it's like such an important thing. And obviously it's like changed a lot over the last 10, 15 of years of streaming, mm -hmm. streaming has taken over. But I still think it serves such an important part of the business. If nothing else, just for a place for like young people who are interested in music to go and express that interest. Like I always have, whenever I have kids like coming to me and they're like, hey man, I really want to get involved in the music business. Like I really love music. And I'm like, what are you doing to show the world that you love music outside of just loving music? Like, what are you doing? How are you getting involved? And like the best way for a, a, a college kid to get involved is to go to that station and get in there and get their hands dirty and figure out how they can volunteer, figure out how they can do everything they can, like boost that station up. Um, I, I just think it's like it re, in that way it still remains super relevant on like a, a smaller level just like on a personal level for people who want to get involved and then for indie musicians too i mean it's still a chance to get on the air you know for, for independent artists it's still really big yeah absolutely i mean you can do because it's because it's there right like like it's something that's yeah. so tangible if you're looking to get right. your start or you're looking to do something within music, you can be very entrepreneurial right there at your station. And a lot of times right. nowadays, I, I kind of wish I'd have did this back then. You can also get involved with the TV station as well, with the campus yeah. TV station. You can do so many things. So that's yeah. that's great advice. Yeah, yeah, I love that yeah. beginning. So, so okay, so now 
you've got, you've came to the program, which I love that story too, of how you were introduced to the program. So you put yourself out there, you got in, you come to the program as you're going through the program, what was your favorite class and, and why? Like, what was the thing? Or what was the class? It was like, oh man, I'm really getting a lot out of this class. Man, it was so funny. Like what you, you sent me these questions. I was like, I graduated 11 years ago. I could not remember for my life like, what, <laughs> what my favorite class was. And it's so funny because I bet if you had asked me five years ago, I would have known. But it, it, it probably is just changes with time. You know, it was like when it was more fresh in my mind, there might have been a different answer. But the, so the, I, I went back and I've been lugging around this uh, file box full of like all my papers from grad school and like every time we every time we move my wife is like what is in this file box like get rid of this stuff and i'm like oh, someday someday i'm gonna need this and you're like i can't quit it no it's gotta stay with me yeah so yesterday i opened the file box for the first time in like 11 years and started going through and like reliving all these memories from these classes so so here's my answer as of today 11 years later with like kind of a broken memory of it um anything at stern like any any class I took at Stern yep. was just such a, an amazing experience because like I just felt like once in a lifetime opportunity to sit in at the business school and kind of sneak into those classes without having had to apply to and uh, and get into business school. So I learned a lot from definitely like the um, uh, managing high-performing teams is one I remember, like leadership classes, that kind of stuff. Just really cool to like get to learn from from, from those professors. Um, the artist management class, I remember obviously I've been working in artist management now for like 11 years. So like that, I, I have a lot of great memories of that. And mainly at the time, um, uh, it was James, I think Celentano was teaching at the time and he just had a lot of great guests come in uh really awesome artist managers came in every week to talk to us about their experience and i just thought that was such a cool way just a cool opportunity through the program to like meet these managers and kind of see what their their lives were about uh and then a little like off topic like another class that i remember and like think about all the time was i took this music criticism class and i'm pretty mm -hmm. sure it was like an elective it just wasn't I can't remember what school it was through, but it wasn't through the music business program. I think it was just an elective I took. But like the professor was a, a New York Times music critic and it was just so cool to like sit and get to like hear this guy talk about everybody he'd interviewed and all the stuff he'd written. And then to just kind of like flex a creative muscle, like in the midst of doing all of the academic work that we were doing through the music business program to get a chance to like, kind of play and do like creative writing about music was i think it was a really good palate cleanser and it, and it's just something i remember about the pro i remember like really loving that at the time i was kind of thinking about if i how i wanted to express myself creatively through my my love of music because i always had this radio show and i kept like a music blog when i was in in grad school was, I, I had to have some kind of creative outlet to like share my love of music so Right. The the uh, creative writing process through the music criticism was something I remember really loving. Wow, it's so interesting. So it's like you have been entrepreneurial really from the jump. I mean, you you've got this radio experience. You're in Jackson, Wyoming. You you see a need. You love music. You've been always thinking proactively. How can I manifest this need into something tangible? So you create this and then a lot of what the program is is like that too you know a lot of it is yeah. what you make it so it you know, is, you've yeah. come and yeah and so you've come and you've done this now taking these courses and kind of putting the two together so then now that you're done with the program if if you had to pick one main takeaway that you got you know based on kind of the things you've already said what would you say it would be because it seems like you got a lot out of those experiences yeah um the the big takeaway from grad school um man i think i think the biggest takeaway for me was just that like when the rubber meets the road like i could i i could walk through fire for music you know what i mean like mm. grad school was hard it was hard yeah you know I mean? it was hard it was hard 
it was hard for me, um, you know, going from a town of like, you know, 6,000 year round residents to go into a city with like 6,000 people on your block. Like I had a friggin' stomach ache for like the first six months I lived in New York. I, I ended up loving my time, absolutely loving my time in New York. But, um, mm. but at first it was a hard transition and, you know, to go from being a ski bum running a radio station to, you know, being a 30 year old intern and being like, uh, you know, mm. one of the oldest in my, in my class at, at, at grad school was like, it was a weird experience. And, and so it did feel like kind of walking through fire. So I think I learned about myself that like, I would, you know, there was like no kind of challenge. I felt like at, by the end that I couldn't conquer. And I took that into like my job applications and interviews too. It's like, Hey, you know, when the shit hits the fan at work, like I, I can hustle and grind super hard for and pull no, no sleep for like a, multiple nights in a row to get through whatever project we need to get through. Cause that's what you do in grad school for two years, man. You just hustle and grind. Um, yeah, I still, I still remember that thesis we had to write. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a project, but I think I, I tried to really pace myself and tackle it. Um, what I think would be the right way. But yeah, I remember those grinds, but it was all worth it, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, I think yeah. The other thing, like that's kind of a personal note on, on like, you know, the way it took away on, on a on a music business note, like the, I think the main takeaway I, I got out of the program is just that like, this business is always changing. I mean, a lot of the stuff we were learning in, in the program in 2010, 2011, 2012, it was, it was changing as by day by day, like as we were in school, like Spotify came to the US during during my second year at NYU. And like, what a game changer for the entire music business. Mm. Like Spotify didn't even exist, you know? We, right. were, we, we were like talking about it in some of the classes and I mean, some of the marketing stuff we were talking about in 2011 is like totally changed and is antiquated now, obviously like, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, this kind of stuff is huge. So the big thing, the big takeaway on the business side is just that this business is always in flux and like, you know, the stuff you may learn in grad school might not be relevant forever, but it's like you learn how to be clever and how to like look forward and how to always be looking at like what's coming and how to be like reading, interpreting the news cycle of like what's next in this business, which keeps us, I think, sharp and have an edge and never be surprised by whatever the next change around the corner is for for one of our artists you know yeah i mean that's so important to be able to adjust and pivot i mean yeah business, even if one does not consider themselves an entrepreneur when you when you come to work in these type of industries you, you have to be so entrepreneurial that right you have yeah. to be able to change you have to be able to pivot so so kind of getting into the meat of this then to the career stuff you and this is where it gets really interesting for you i i want to zero in on three experiences on my next question um sure you have you had three internships and they all seem uh -huh. to be in various like like mm -hmm. three different aspects you had mm -hmm. you were interning at the Bowery presents you were inter mm -hmm. you did an internship at reservoir media management and you did an internship at red light management so yeah so you graduate from the program and then you start these internships can you talk about those three and your internship experiences before we get to kind of um the yeah the management stuff yeah i mean i think <sighs> the internships through the grad school program were such an important part of the educational experience of grad school, you know, it's like actually the actual opportunity to get in those rooms and get in those spaces and coming from, you know, small town in Wyoming, I was like, Oh my God, I have an opportunity to like go sit in the Bowery presents office for three months and just like soak up as much information as I can. And I, you know, I wasn't really sure when I got into grad school, like where I wanted to go afterwards. Like I, I obviously had a love of radio, but I was kind of just curious to see how my interests grew and changed. So I, I really wanted to diversify my internship experience across as, as different uh, uh, kind of sectors of the business as possible. Um, you know, started out at Bowery Presents. That was like a really interesting experience. Obviously at the time they were like, 
the biggest concert promoter in New York City. And it was just an insane experience to get to go in there every day. And I, I really kind of got my ass kicked in there by the promoter that I was under <laughs> who didn't have a ton of patience for, for you know, this uh, kind of country mouse coming into this, <laughs> the office every day and like not knowing like not knowing any of the terminology yet, not knowing anything. And it's so funny, I was looking through my notes from that internship last night and just like all of this kind of language that is second nature to me now, but at the time I just like had no idea what was going on. But, <laughs> um, you know, but it was, that was just like a rad experience to get to go in there and be part of that office for even a short period of time. Um, and following that, like there was like one thing that always interests me about the program. I don't know if they do more with it now, but at, at the time there was no education around how music publishing works. And like, you know, mm. there was like mentioned in different classes, but to me it was like, this is such an important part of the music business is copyright and, and music publishing. I mean, it's just like the one part of the industry that doesn't change as like all these different, um, technologies come about and you know it's like we these copyrights are an artist's biggest asset so i i really wanted to learn as much as i could about that so i went and interned at reservoir media management which is a publishing company um that was super cool just to learn from mm. the inside it's a super generous office the guy running the office used to be a, a music business um teacher uh in florida so he had a real like oh, he had a real like teacher vibe to him was just like super cool wanted wanted me to learn uh everything i you know as much as i wanted to and i was super hungry in all of these in all of these internships too it was like a big thing for me was like i mean dude, i was coming into these internships at 30 years old yeah. uh so i had already gone out and done what i you know what i thought was some cool shit and like coming into these offices and half the time my my supervisor would be you know four years five years younger than me mm -hmm. and like you know it's like I really had to humble myself to go in there and be like and just be like yeah I just I'm here to learn like I want to get as much out of this as possible because I get that it's a little weird that I'm like older than you and I have these other experiences but at the end of the day like I'm going to humble myself and I, and, and I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do in exchange right. for learning as much as I possibly can from you. And that's like the biggest thing I'd say to anyone in the program is just like humble like in those internships, humble yourself and take, say yes to everything they give you. Right. Like all, and make sure you're memorable and try to learn as much from them as possible. If you have an opportunity to buy someone in that office, a cup of coffee and just, in exchange for like three questions, gonna have 15 minutes of your time for three questions, like take that opportunity because that's where you're gonna learn so, so much. Um, so yeah, yeah, a little digression from the from like the timeline, but that's- No, no, that's good. That, that my, my last internship was at Red Light Management. Um, and yeah, that was a trip because like, they'd have like six interns on every day. Some of them were NYU students. Some of them were not. Some of them were just like people mm. out in the world. And oh, they would wow. put you in this pit. They'd put you in this like pit in the middle of the office. And there was an email address that was like intern at red light management. And, and anyone who worked at the office would just send a task to that email address. And the first person to reply got to do the task. And the task <laughs> could be like, get me coffee or the task could be like, you know, uh, scan this document or there were like bigger jobs that would come through. And I was just like, I would just sit there and watch the email address all day long and just like jump on every single thing I could jump on. <laughs> um, Cause I wanted to learn, man. And there's like other kids where other interns were in there, like, you know, looking at Facebook all day long. And I'm like, yeah, you look at Facebook, I'm watching this inbox. Cause I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to get one of the top managers is going to send something and I'm going to go, I'm going to get to do it for him. And then I'm going to like, ask if I can buy him a coffee and I'm going to get him a coffee on Friday afternoon and ask him three questions, you know? Right. And it's a trip because like, you know, after graduating, I started my career and I'd see all these managers at like Bonnaroo every year, at like clubs in New York. And like, I, they started to become peers and it was just super, it was super cool. It was like, uh, 
you know, I was really happy with the, the effort I put in there and kind of how it paid off. And like, I think I left that internship with a, some level of respect from some of those, some of those managers, or at least that they would remember my name, remember my, remember my face when they see me about out and about. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, it was a, it was a, I'm really, I, I, I'm really grateful for the internship experience. It was, it was challenging and humbling. And, but at the end of the day, it's like, man, if you're coming from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, like how the hell are you going to get yourself into red light management's office? How are you going to get yourself into Bowery presents office? You know, right. like you could beg to help them and they would just say no, but through NYU, you know, got, get your foot in the door. And it, from there, it's like, it's what you do with it. Yeah. Um, that's, so, that's so, it's so great. They, so, so they put you, so at red light, you were in the pit. How competitive yeah. were you? I mean, obviously you had some people that were just checking Facebook all day or didn't want the, didn't want to deal with that piece. Do you think that was more people not wanting to do the work piece or just the, the, the competitive nature of it? Some people aren't built to be competitive. So like, what I was think that it's, being in the pit? <laughs> I think it's people that thought they were better than it. I, you know what I mean? I thought people thought that they were like entitled to just be like given a job at red light with like no hustle no grind and like that mm -hmm. and so they were like get in there and they just be like this is dumb and just like mess around on facebook you know and like and i came in and was just like dude i'm i'm 30 years old like i'm the oldest guy in this pit like i i like five years older than everybody else like i gotta humble myself and i gotta make the most of this because i don't have like this, the back half of my twenties to like mess around. I, I burned all that snowboarding in Wyoming. You know, I got, <laughs> right. I got, I got to make this shit happen in my thirties and I got 10 years to do it. Like, let's go, you know? So I, I, there was like, maybe I remember like one or two other guys who would come in and, and, and we would be like the two who would be like hot on the email and like always replying like, yeah, yeah, I got this. I got this. You know, I, I'm going to do this project. I'm going to do this project. Um, for the most part, you know, a lot of jokers, a lot of jokers in, in every internship, I think. Right. Absolutely. I, I think people get, people got to ask themselves, like, what are you doing here? You know, why are you right. doing this? Is it just because it, just because it's a requirement of the program or because it's an amazing opportunity and you should, you know, take advantage of every minute you get in that office. You know, as I'm listening to you talk, you can, you can just so you can hear and see again, the story. I did multiple internships as well. So your story resonates with me, but just this, as we transition to talk about the meat of the artist management piece, it's like the foundation for what it really means to be an effective artist manager is being laid through your humility and through the specific work you're doing as you cut your teeth, you know, in these different arenas, touching these different things, um, honing your skills yeah. to be able to, work with artists and deal with artists in a very well-rounded way. And you can just see the foundation of it coming there. So, so let's set the stage for this then. So May of, of 2012, you know, the red light management internship ends and then September of 2012 starts the journey that you're on now. And, and, and first, let me yeah. say this. I obviously want to talk to you doing great things from the program, but just this unique experience, you have been at the same place now since 2012. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There are, there are people that have that experience of long-term unemployment, but in 2023, this type of long-term um, long employment, I should say, or, or being affiliated yeah. with one place, working under one umbrella um, is, is, a little, is, is a little rare. <laughs> it's yeah. not something that just happens to a lot of people nowadays, maybe back in the day with our parents' generation, they would stay at the same job for a while. So getting on here and talking about this, I was just so super interested to want to hear the experience, how you decided management was going to be the thing you pursued and kind of what right. the day to day is and what it's like working um, at 11-11. So, okay, September two of 2012 comes around. Um, yeah. How do you get at 11-11 and talk to me about that journey and what it's been like uh, from then up yeah. until yeah so i mean it, it's gone through a lot of different stages so i'll i'll, I'll kind of start at the beginning and, and that's kind of how it, i think it's been 12 years which, which is wild but 
you know, 11 years, whatever it's been. Um, we don't really count anymore. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, like you were saying before, man, with these intern experiences and with all the diverse classes, like learning everything you learn in the music business program, I was like, man, what do I want to do with this? Like, where do I want to go with this? And I was like, you know, the only thing that made sense to me at the time was artist management because it was like, it was a, it involved everything I had learned. It was like, you know, you, you kind of get to touch every part of the music business. And at the same time, you get to work, you know, alongside with artists kind of making their dreams come true, which was really exciting and, and interesting for me. Um, so I graduated from the program and I reached out to uh, a member of my network, Lee Anderson, who is a booking agent. Uh, he is now uh, an executive at Wasserman. Um, time he was with AM Only, which was a, a, a EDM dance booking agency in Brooklyn that was later bought out by Paradigm and is now, obviously Paradigm is now Wasserman. So uh, Lee at the time, I just knew him from college. He was uh, in Burlington, Vermont when I was in Burlington, right. Vermont. And he, he was, uh, his career was taking off while we were in grad school. He started booking uh, a little unknown DJ named Skrillex, um, and oh. who then, <laughs> right. then took off, you know, and, and this was, you know, 2010, 2011, 2012. So EDM is becoming a worldwide phenomenon uh the biggest you know biggest stages biggest genre at that time and skrillex was sitting on the top of it so lee was having a moment and or he was still having a moment the guy's an amazing career amazing guy and and i was lucky enough to be friends with him i sent him an email and said hey man you just graduated from nyu had an amazing experience learned all this stuff uh i'd really you know if you know anyone looking for any help in artist management uh would you let me know he replied immediately and said, Hey, I just forwarded your resume to my entire contact list. You should be hearing from somebody soon. And I was, oh, that wow. was like, that was just the, that was it, man. You know what I mean? That was, that was, it was that contact. It was that connection. It was maintaining that friendship and, and, um, and also, you know, being able to add value to him through the program and through these internship experiences where like he could take one look at what I had done in the last two years and he could then vouch for me. Um, wow. So a few weeks later, I heard from an artist manager in Boulder, Colorado named Ben Baruch. Ben was having a lot of success at the time with his client, Big Gigantic, another uh, client in the EDM <laughs> space um, who was, you know, continues to be very successful, but was popping off at the moment because of the, the boom in the dance music scene at that time. And Ben wanted to create an artist management company. He said, hey, I get this one client. They're super successful. I want to assign more clients. I want to build an artist management company and I need somebody to do it with. And I was like, I'm your guy. Like I just got done walking through fire to get my, mm. my degree. <laughs> nice. uh, I'm in a super like project oriented mindset where, you know, like I've been doing all these hypothetical projects in the classes and like real projects and internships. And uh, like, this was just like a big project. And I was like, I'm your guy. Let's go. And the other thing about it was I wanted to get back to a mountain town you know I wanted to get and this mm. guy was in Boulder and he wanted to start an office in Boulder um, I wasn't quite ready to go yet so I spent two more years uh, after graduating in Brooklyn uh, soaking up all that New York City had to offer and working remotely so I was like remote before remote was was cool and um, you know got really used to working in my pajamas <laughs> and not leaving the, the apartment back in the day. Um, so yeah, I started working with Ben uh, first, you know, as a day-to-day -day manager. So just he would sign clients and I'd kind of take, look after them for him and do everything that needed to be done for those clients on like the day-to-day -day scale. Um, after two years, moved to, new, uh, to Boulder to work in the office with him. And at that point kind of moved mm -hmm. into kind of a co-manager role, started um, co-managing, assigning my own clients. Um, we moved the office to Denver in 2016. Um, mm. and I continue to stay on there, uh, in more of a leadership role in the office, but also co-managing and signing my own clients. I had, you know, six, seven clients at a time 
for the last four years into the pandemic. Um, and then the pandemic hit and, you know, the whole world turned upside down. I had a daughter, my first, my firstborn was, uh, six weeks before the first lockdown. So I was like just coming off paternity leave and, uh, went back in the office for like three or four days. And then, you know, the, the whole pandemic thing happened, which was, you know, uh, chaotic to say the least in the artist management world because i had i think two or three artists on tour at the time when and it was just very much those first weeks just like what are what are we doing uh like a paperwork sounds like a paperwork nightmare (laughs) yeah i mean i don't know it was yeah it was a nightmare for sure um so yeah so then you know the the pandemic kind of carried on and i six months into it, I was just like, I don't know if I, I kind of had one of those moments everybody has, like, I don't know what I want to do with my life in the music business. Like, I think a lot of us during, during those first couple years of COVID were like, what am I doing? What do I want? Is this the right path for me? I had been at it with artist management for 10 years and, and definitely in like the last like three or four years before the pandemic, I was like grinding super hard, like you know, the thing with the level of artists I was working with is like, um, you know, kind of mid mid tier artists were not making enough money for me that I could just be working with one or two or three. I needed a, a stable of five or six, right? And that afforded me like an assistant, but not much else. And as a result, I was just putting in tons of hours every week and like really right. burning myself out and like you know burning myself out on the not very fun part of artist management just like putting out fires and just dealing with kind of drama and that stuff that you're just like man why did i spend like 10 hours of my week dealing with just like this artist just like creating this headache for me for no reason so yeah. i was burnt out honestly by the time the first lockdown happened, I was burnt out. And, and so, um, by summer 2020, I basically made the call to like, take a big step back from where I was at in my career. And I, uh, at the time I thought I was going to leave management altogether. Um, I passed off all of my clients to other managers at 11, 11. And I kept one client that was my, my baby, um, Magic City Hippies, I've been working with from, mm-hmm. um, from the early days. And I just like kind of couldn't let them go. I couldn't pass them off just yet. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I'm going to have a lot of free time on my hands. And they're not really touring. So I'll just hang on to these guys while I figure out what I'm, what I'm doing. And um, that kind of grew into you know, over, over time realizing like, I still want to manage bands. I just don't want to have this kind of unsustainable lifestyle I was having before. And so for the last two, three years, I've just been managing one act. Um, and that's afforded me a kind of a different lifestyle of, you know, um, spending a lot more time with my kids. I have two kids now. Um, my family is like super important to me. Um, being a dad is super important to me. I, I don't want to go back to um, that grind. Um, and, you know, it's it's tricky because it's not like, um, you know, again, like the the band's been doing pretty well. Obviously, they had a tough time during COVID like everybody did. Right. <clears throat> so like on a, you know, commission type business, it's not making a ton of money, but it's it, it's mm-hmm. enough to kind of, get by doing, you know, doing what my plan is, which is to not be completely overwhelmed and overworked and to get to be a dad Um, and to get to kind of focus on one client. The other thing is like when you're managing a bunch of bands, like you're spread so thin, you know, every band needs a manager who can give them a hundred percent. How do you give a hundred percent to six clients? Mm. You know, that's 600%. (laughs) You can't do that. It's like you have to split it up. So everybody's getting, you know, everybody's getting, you know, 15, 20% of your time and attention. And like, so you're basically just, you're not like hustling and grinding for artists. You're just kind of hoping that one of them gets lucky and like that you can ride that to success. And that's just not good for the artists. It's not good for, it's not a good way to run your business. So, um, 
Right. Yeah. So I guess like long story short, that's how I've been with this company for so long. It's just different stages of it. You know, it's two years remote then, you know, was like four, six years, like in the office. And then the last three years, um, I'm kind of a independent manager with the company. Um, you know, I don't go to the office anymore. I don't pay into like the pool of the office or the assistance and stuff like that. It's all there if I'd like to access it. And, um, but I, I am part of the company and I have access to, you know, the, those things that come with it if I, if I need them. Um, and I'm still very, very close with Ben Baruch, who's the owner of the company. And, and I think that's why I've been with them for so long is that he's an awesome guy. He's super smart and creative and, and generous dude and a very good friend of mine. So um, I like, you know, we like being around each other. We like going to shows right. together and we, right. and um, you know, I think we, we both like each other, how each other's brains work. So we're able to kind of find a mutual way to like help each other out and uh, make it work that I'm, I'm still part of the company, even though I'm just in a different role than I was in kind of pre-pandemic. Wow. It's just, it's an amazing story and it's a very layered journey. Just, just kind of even to go back with you having the experience that you have, being the expert that you have, the, the very, the term artist manager, mm-hmm. when you, when you think of the definition of an artist manager, how much of that definition, despite technology, how much of that definition has stayed the same and how much of it has it changed over time? I, mean, I think the big, the biggest change is that I think you were always, the, the, the position was always like an everything type position like every part you're focusing on every part of the band's career but the big change i think in the last 10 years is that you're the label too like in most cases you're the label like i'm a big fan of of owning masters you know it's a huge huge asset to own all of your copyrights right and in this day and age we have all the tools at our disposal to release music ourselves so what is a label there for i mean the label still makes sense certainly in certain situations for certain artists but for for a lot of artists if you've got a good buzz going you're generating streams and you there's a lot you can do on your own and when i say do on your own i mean the manager is doing most of it you know so so the workload has become massive on a manager because instead of just being like the spoke on the center of the wheel and you know every every spoke out is a different part of the band's career and you're, and you're that central hub. Sometimes you're the whole wheel, you know, sometimes you're, you're the, you're the manager, you're the label, you're the publishing company, you're the publicist, you're the, you know, accountant, you're the, you're, you're everything except maybe I I won't be an agent. I'm always, always got to outsource booking shows because that's just a, that's a full-time job. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is you kind of have to know, you know, your, it, your job, you have a duty to your artists to make them as much money as possible. Right. And so sometimes that means saying no to a shitty label deal and doing it yourself and grinding as hard as you can. So, it, but you're doing it on 15% commission. Like that's wild. You know, you're doing the job of a label that would traditionally take 50% or maybe you know, 30% in a, in a really good deal and you're, and you're grinding it out. So that's the big change, I think, in the last 10 years is, you know, manager is doing more and more jobs and has more and more hats. Um, so, yeah. No, I, and I really appreciate your candor there. So this leads me to another question. And, and Brad, full disclosure, I've gotten into many conversations about this with many different people at various levels. And I may sound like the old man yelling at the cloud here, but please correct me on this. Even though you might, particularly, you know, with technology and being able to scale and automate some of these functions, obviously the manager that's looking out for the artist the most or is that hub is doing all of these things. Does that still, though, at the end of the day, with the way the business is structured, 
does that still create a big conflict of interest when the manager, even though the tools allow people to do this nowadays, becomes the publisher and the label? Um, do you agree with that, that that does still become a conflict of interest, or do you feel there is no conflict of interest and it's just the way of doing business now? Well, it depends on how you're doing it, right? It depends, like if you're creating your own label entity and and kind of forcing your artist to like go through your label entity, I think that's a little, you know, I'd be a little skeptical of that. But when I say acting as a label, like I'm, I'm not, I'm acting, I'm, I'm doing the job a record label would do for the artist so that they can own all of their masters and so that they can, they can, self-release and do it in a in a diy way um and so i'm not like commissioning i'm not like creating my own label entity and being like okay guys like you gotta release this through me and and you know i i'm gonna take a larger percent on this um which i think is something that potentially makes sense it would be a conflict of interest if you then double dip right like how are you going to commission on that Right. So I, I, I don't think that's that income is commissionable by the manager, in my opinion. But I do think in, in, in defense of managers who do that, like. It does make sense, because if you're doing the job of a label, you should be getting reaping some of the rewards of it in that way. And certainly if you're advancing any money, if you're kind of, of if you're course. helping out with any money on the, on the front end, you should be getting a little bit more on the, on the back end. Um, so yeah, it's definitely to be aware of, I, I've never personally done that. Cause I just, I do, I just want the, you know, I, I, I think you, you gotta do what's best for your artists. And it's like, if we can do, if I can do the job without too much of a nightmare and just keep it at a regular management commission on any of those earnings, that's right. what's going to be best for them. It's so hard for artists to make it these days that I am very cognizant of like what's going into their bank account and trying right. to do as much as I can to not hurt them while also being sure that I can keep the lights on, you know, and do, right. and do my thing. Um, but it's, it's really hard to make a buck these days, you know, um, especially if you're a band and you're splitting the money up multiple, right. multiple ways amongst band members, DJs right. do a little bit better, but, um, yeah. What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that makes sense. I mean, certainly different genres will lend lend themselves to having to deal with this different ways. Obviously in hip hop, um, it's been based on a lot of the artists being their own business, mixtapes, self-releasing stuff. And that's been around for a long time. So I can yeah. see that issue coming up when people are trying to get paid. And it comes, I think in theory, when it comes to the actual work, sure. If you're working with someone, you're trying to grind to build the biggest platform you can, you will become the publisher and the label at some point. But I, but I guess that question has always been there for me when it comes to the payouts of that. How is that happening behind closed doors? Does it become a conflict right. of interest? Because I see that it can if it's not clearly stated, okay, these are when these functions overlap and this is how much so-and-so will be getting paid when they overlap. If, if parties totally, agree to yeah. that, that's one thing. But if they don't, I've just seen that how that could get a little convoluted. That's why I bring that up. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, communication's key, and lawyers are, are good sometimes too. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes. Yes. Okay. So, so just to confirm, I didn't sound like the old man yelling at the cloud to bring that question up. It's a legit. No, question. I think it's I think it's a legit question, and I think you know there are creepy managers out there who are trying to, you know, trying to get a buck, you know? Um, I definitely like, I know been talking to the magic city boys, like some of the managers who came knocking before I did, you know, were looking for some crazy deals, 50, 50% commission and (laughs) partial ownership of masters. And you're just like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? It's like, this is wild. So it's definitely something to be, you know, to be watching out for. And um, man, I think even yesterday I was going through my notes from like the legal class at NYU and there was stuff about this in there, you know, so you're not wrong at all to be on the watch out for it. So, okay, Brad, you just led me to another question and yeah. the conversation 
I've had around this. So in 2023, the idea of the bad deal with so much information about the business out here um, and so many different tools in terms of distribution. So now we will pull the technology piece in now. Mm-hmm. With so many different pieces of technology helping to move along the distribution of music. What are your thoughts on artists taking certain deals? Okay, like you said, with the managers um, approaching them. Is there a world where an artist can take that deal if they are knowledgeable enough in today's market to understand what they're giving up and getting on the on the front end and the back end? Is there a space where you would advise a client, okay, if they are offering this and want 50%, but they're giving X, Y, Z, and ABC, do you then say, okay, for one person, it may be a bad deal, but for us, it's not a bad deal. How have those conversations changed? I mean, I think it 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 really depends on how much they're willing to bring and and invest in you up front. You know, right. like what what are they doing for you that you can't do for yourself? If you mm-hmm. have no money in the bank, that's something that needs to be considered because right. mm-hmm. you want to do run a successful marketing campaign on an album these days i mean i like to see a marketing campaign and cost between 20 and 40k it's like do you have 20 and 40k to put up you know like you Mm -hmm. you don't well maybe we need to think about you know working with a partner who can advance us money and help market this thing and help push this thing um and in order to do that you might you're gonna have to give something up now these days you know with distribution companies that are offering label services deals you know you might be able to give up 30 percent, but you're not giving up master ownership you're just cutting them 30 percent of of your income so we have more and better deals now where Mm -hmm. you can still protect the artist's copyright and you can still make sure that they own their copyright while maybe getting into a deal with a a company that's gonna help advance and help with some marketing efforts you know um I still think, you know, the majors have a role in the music business. I, I think they're great for really large scale projects and <clears throat> still getting big budget videos and big budget radio campaigns and stuff like that. But for the most part, for most artists, there's a lot you can do on your own with hustle and grind and hard work and a little bit of money can go a long way. um through you know just through you know advertising campaigns um even some of the ones that directly in within the spotify platform if you like work hard to learn how the spotify for artists platform works and how you can kind of game the system over there um you can you can go a long way um so yeah i'm not sure totally answer your question but i it's different for every artist you know and what they need, what they have, what assets they have, what the marketing plan looks like, what the creative they are working with was, because I can't forget that part. Like yeah. the music's gotta be great. <laughs> These days, the music has to be amazing and original and unique yeah. and, and and expressing and say, you know, sounding and saying something that no one else is sounding and saying because there's 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 so much out there in the market right now. Um but if you have all that and you can, you know, get a good marketing plan together and a little budget to back it up, I think there's so much you can do on your own these days, you know, with a, with a manager and a small team doing it, you know, doing it for you and alongside you as an artist. Yeah. I mean, that definitely answers, answers the question because I, I'm always Larry Brad of, you know, again, you and I having that similar background where we really had to cut our teeth and do different things. I'm always leery of these conversations staying in an academic space where it's like, oh yeah, X, Y, Z, don't sign that deal. And it's like, well, in 2023, depending on what you're getting, what leverage you have, what you're actually, what the actual deal is, the things you say you wouldn't have taken 10 years ago, maybe you would take because you're more knowledgeable and informed on what, on what the artist and the team is getting from that deal versus You know something else where maybe you wouldn't do it so i think these things can can become a little too academic but when your boots on the ground and this is why we brought up the the manager as label conversation when your boots on the ground maybe that does make sense for a season of time um maybe there is right. no hard and fast rule but 
we do need to be cognizant of how these things can affect the overall health of the business. So that's why I asked right. you that. No, it definitely, they're definitely in line. Um, I wanted to ask you two more questions before we get out of here. Yeah. What are you curious about right now? I'm interested to hear this. <laughs> oh man. Um, I, I think that the, I, I'm very curious to see where things are going in the business with like the long tail of COVID and the potential, mm. the potential for this recession that we've been hearing is coming yeah. every day for the last year and a half that, you know, everyone's talking about this impending recession, whether it comes or not, we'll see. But uh, I'm curious how these things are going to affect the longevity, like the tour, touring essentially for the next five years. So touring is our main revenue source for most artists. And it's like, obviously COVID was absolute insanity for the touring business. And we're still feeling the effects of it. We are not out of the woods yet in terms yeah, of no. returning to, to kind of pre-pandemic. And, and a lot of artists didn't make it, you know, a lot of artists didn't, didn't make it. And, and some artists found ways to capitalize on that and came out stronger somehow, amazingly. And, and some kind of squeaked by and some didn't make it. And so if we go into a recession and, and, and people are not, you know, are not buying tickets and do not return to kind of pre-pandemic levels of ticket buying. Um, I'm curious to see what that does. You know, um, that's kind of like, that's where my head's at right now. Uh, Cause like in, in my personal world, we're, 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 we're just starting to get back to pre-pandemic levels of momentum and pre-pandemic levels of ticket sales after a couple rough tours that were really challenging um back in like 2021 when you know people just weren't ready to go to shows and 2022 when there was tons of shows and tons of traffic and that was like a whole different problem there's like too many bands going out on the road and not enough people to buy tickets for all of it so right that's the thing i'm thinking about right now that's, it might be a little short-sighted and, and not maybe a super creative answer, but I'm, I'm just looking at the next two years of touring and because um, it's very real for artists and how they, how they make most of their money, you know? Yeah, no, very real. And it just, again, no, that's very relevant because that goes back to what I was saying. Like, we can have a lot of these thoughts, but when you're dealing with boots on the ground like you are, you know, these are the things that people think about. Like, how are these, how are these issues going to affect us in the long term, what technology is going to continue to take center stage because we're having this issue? Like those are those right. are things that are super important, right? You know, yeah, when it comes to those things. So, all right, and then last question, and I like to ask all my guests this: If you could go back and talk to yourself on the first day that you started the program, what would you say to yourself? Oh, uh, yeah. um i would just say take advantage of every single opportunity you have for the next two years because it goes by super fast it seems like a long time but it goes by super fast and it's a once in a lifetime opportunity that not many people get to have access to the new york city music business you know to get to be able to kind of get in any door and ask people questions and learn from them so take advantage of every opportunity um stay humble learn everything you can say yes to everything you can um oh i had one more note on that on my notes you are the notes keep guy a, keep, keep a show journal keep a show journal <laughs> Because I have, I go back, I lived in New York City for four years. I go back through my iPhone photos of photos I took during that period. And when you go back and look at it 10 years later, it's just a bunch of blurry concert photos. You can't see who's on the stage. <laughs> like I know, I, I know I tried to go to as many concerts as I could when I lived in New York. I was going, 
you know, ideally in, in my memory, I was going to shows once or twice a week. But I look back on it and I'm like, I have no idea what shows I went to. And I look at the photos <laughs> and I have no idea who the photo, unless it's like a super obvious thing. I have no idea who the photos are. Uh, so I wish I had kept a show journal so I could look back now as like a, you know, as a dad who doesn't get to go out as much as you would like anymore and right. kind of let to live vicariously through my former self. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Um, record everything yeah. so you can remember it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. that's great. Everyone, that is Brad Desmond, artist manager at 1111 Group. Um, Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was yeah. a great conversation and just really appreciated all the insight and everything that you offered to us today, man. It was really, really great. Thanks, stuff. Bryce. Yeah, thanks so much for inviting me to come on and, and share my story. It's been awesome, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was great. It was great having you on, Brad. Thank you for listening uh, to this to this episode. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at BryceB88. I will have future episodes coming soon. But until then, take care and be well. Thanks for listening to this episode of People from the Program. Be sure to check us out anywhere you listen to your podcasts and stay tuned for future episodes of the show. 